All right. Well, once again, thank you for being here this evening. I want to welcome everybody here and all those listening on our podcast channel. Now, a quick recap from uh, last week from Pastor Craig's teaching on Exodus 31, where we learned about God's emphasis, his details on worship and the service. They're spelled out. Nothing's left to chance, right? And so then our worship would be, should be meaningful, purposeful, not casual. It should be all about God. So tonight, we're going to continue in that series. We're going to look at the book of Exodus chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus 32. If you have your iPad or iPhone, that's fine too. Now, chapter 32 stands out in a way because it's actually it's a low point for the Israelites. Up to this point, they had been through a lot. God had done some amazing miracles for them. He's providing for them. He was now providing them the law. They were learning about the sacrifices, the tabernacle, and he was really molding them into being his people. So on the one hand, this is a really, really cool time for them. But on the other, things are about to take a big turn for the worst. And when I say worse, this is this tonight we're going to talk about the golden calf incident. Everyone heard of that before? Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about, right? But there's more going on than just simply a golden calf, like a, a, a statue of a calf. So let's look at chapter 32. Let's go right into verse 1, and this is what it says. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now, there's a number of things in this verse that signal trouble, that problems are coming. Number one, it says the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, right? In layman's terms, it means they got tired of waiting for him, pure and simple. In their minds, Maybe Moses got consumed in that fire. You know, there was that cloud. Maybe he got lost and went over the cliff because he couldn't see. Maybe an animal got him. We don't know. Whatever happened, we're tired of waiting. We need to move on. It's time. That's their mindset. All right? So with that, with that big problem in mind, this is how it relates to us today. Let's go to our next slide. All right? A huge, huge sign of spiritual maturity means being able to handle perceived delays without a decrease in faith. Okay, so that's one thing I want everybody to remember from this. Uh, Write that down, note that, whatever you want to do. A big, big sign of spiritual maturity is is being able to handle what you perceive as delay. Something's not going as fast as you think it is, and it doesn't affect your faith. Okay, that's very important. Because just because it seems, and we've all been here, right? Just because it seems like God is taking a long time, doesn't mean he's taking a long time. We have our own misguided perception of how fast God should work. Right? If we're honest with ourselves, have we all been there at some point? Right? We just have. That's what we do. It doesn't make you unique. It makes you normal. Let's be honest. Right? It doesn't mean it's okay. It just means that it's common. Right? Like when we ask God for things, there's, there's three answers. Yes, no, and this is the one I always struggle with, wait. Why wait? I know what the answer should be. I have my own ideas. Well, the Israelites were struggling with this too. They did not want to wait. Right? But the problem is when we refuse to wait, just like the Israelites are doing, and we're going to see this, when we do that too, we assume the role of judge and jury. We look at the situation. We decide this is what's going on. I've made my own judgment. God, you're not quite up to par, so here's my decision. I'm either going to begin to get very frustrated with you, and you can nod your head if you kind of know what I'm talking about. Maybe I begin to doubt you in some way. 
I'm going to start working on my own solutions. Or I may just, if it gets bad enough, let go of the relationship and head out on my own. Right? And in this story, we're going to see the Israelites do each one of those things. They're going to just barrel right through all of that. So keep your eye on this stuff as we read because you're going to see all that happen. Now notice, the text tells us that we see the people, they gather around Aaron. Notice they didn't send one person. They didn't pick a spokesman like you. you. This is what we want you to tell Aaron. What did they do? They went as a community. Everybody. They went in a show of force. If just one or two people went, Aaron could be like, no, 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 no. If everybody went together as a community, this is something he's going to have to reckon with. This is a bigger deal. So when the people, they tell Aaron, they say, come, make us gods that will go before us. Now, when you read that today, that sounds like a really, really strange thing to say. But back then, this was not such a crazy idea. Back then, it was common to have multiple gods. In fact, most, most uh, civilizations had several gods. The Israelites stood out, and they had one god. They were the unique people. Everyone else had lots of gods, right? And so the story goes, then when they lost faith in Moses, they thought he was gone. What did they want to do? Well, let's just pick another one. Let's just do what everybody else does, right? But unfortunately, we look at the text, it wasn't just that they thought he was lost. They actually also had a negative view of Moses now, right? And you can tell this by how they did talk about him to Aaron. They say, as for this fellow Moses who has brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Now look at those words, as for this fellow. They're, they're talking about him like he's a stranger, like he's some dude they just met at the gas station 10 minutes ago, right? When actually he was the bold leader that went before Pharaoh, a ruthless dictator, and said, let my people go, repeatedly. He stood strong. He led them out, Right? And with this statement, the way they're now treating Moses, we can see that bigger problems are on the horizon. So what does Aaron do when they ask him to give them a new God? This is how he responds. It's verses 2 to 4. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And verse 4 says, He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of of a calf fashioning with a, with a tool. So this took a little bit of time. Then he said what? These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what's happening here is not just as simple as him making a golden statue. The gold earrings they have, the necklaces, the gold that they have, they got when they were slaves in Egypt. When they were driven out, when they were finally let go by the Egyptians, the Egyptians gave them gold and said, get out! Just go, take whatever you want, get out of here, right? So actually, we could say God provided that gold for them. Not only did he free them from slavery, provide them for food and water in the desert, he provided them free gold as they were leaving, as they were freed people. And now what did those Israelites do with that very gold? They used it to make an idol. They used it. They made a young cow. Aaron fashions this into a calf, a young cow. And that wasn't by accident. There were actually several religions in the Middle East during that time that used images of bulls and calves for gods. For example, there was an Egyptian god named Apis, and he was always represented, excuse me, represented by a bull. The chief god El of the Canaanites 
was sometimes described as a bull as well. And there was a storm god called Baal, and at one point he actually sired an ox. So the image of an, a cow, a bull, was actually very common during that time. It was, would not have been a foreign idea to them. But probably one of the more concerning things that occurs at this point is this statement, the statement that Aaron makes when the, ga- when the calf is complete. And as we just read, Aaron says, these are your gods who did what? They brought you out of Egypt. So Aaron and the Israelites, they're no longer giving credit to God and to Moses, his servant, for leading them out of slavery. It's this calf that they just made. But that's not all. Once the calf is erected, there's an altar that they build, that they put in front of it. And let's read that now, and things start to get worse. Verses 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, meaning the calf, he built an altar in front of the calf. An altar. And he announced, tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early, and they sacrificed burn offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and then did what? Got up to indulge in what? Revelry. That sounds like a wonderful Saturday afternoon, doesn't it? So unfortunately, what we just read is exactly what goes on. Aaron built the Israelites an altar right in front of this golden calf. Right? And then he makes this announcement. Tomorrow there's going to be a big, a big festival. We're going to celebrate to the Lord. Now what's interesting about that statement is that they build this, this idol and then they plan to hold a festival to God. So it's like they create a new God and they place him right, back, right next to the old one who, who actually freed them. Now some scholars actually think the golden calf in a way was meant to take the place of Moses. Moses was the inter- interceded for them to God. But it doesn't really matter because in the end, all they really did was replace Moses. They built an altar and they just did all kinds of awful stuff. So regardless of what happened, everything was just going downhill. So the next day, they get up early and they have this festival and they offer burnt offerings, right? And fellowship offerings in front of this golden calf. And then it says they sat down, they eat, they would have feasted. And then they indulge in a little bit of revelry. Now again, it sounds... Exactly like it is. They feasted and they partied hard. They did all kinds of abhorrent, immoral things. And you can kind of imagine what that would have entailed. But that doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a moment where they stopped, where they paused. They said, you know what, maybe, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe we should slow down a little bit. That never happened. Never happened. They just went headlong in this direction. And so Moses, Moses is still on the mountain. He has no idea what's going on. But God is about to fill him in. So let's look at this, verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people, look at the words, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have become quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bow, down, they bow down to it. They sacrifice to it. And they have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. God says, I've seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, they were a stiff-necked people. This is where it gets serious in verse 10. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So obviously we can tell God's anger is burning bright with a capital B, right? Big time. 
And I highlighted the words God was using up there um, because there's very specific words he uses. God, first he says they were corrupt. That's a specific word. Corruption means the people have become dishonest with the intent of receiving something they didn't earn. Right? The whole reason is to corrupt is to get something you want and you're not going to pay for it. Right? You stole, you lied, you twisted the truth, you acted deceitfully, and then you got something to show for it. The point God is making is he is the one who gave them their freedom. He is the one who provided for them in the desert. He was their God. He gave them his love. He, now he's giving them the law. But the people were all too eager to receive all of that and then immediately turn their back on him. Right? When really all he wanted was their love and devotion. And then they gave all that credit to a statue. This is what God gets so angry about. And how angry does he get? He gets so angry, he asks Moses to leave so that he can really let his fury go. And in the process of God wiping out the Israelites, God says, listen, I'm going to start over and I'm going to make you, Moses, you into a great nation. Now Moses is innocent of all of this, right? He had nothing to do. His hands are clean, right? He was blameless. But let's be honest, God makes him a very, very unique offer, doesn't he? Moses doesn't actually have to do anything to be made into a great nation now. What did God say? Just turn your back. Just walk away. That's a tempting offer. How do you think most people would respond? Ooh, great nation. My own people. Maybe I'll just give him a few minutes. Come back. Really, that would be incredibly tempting. So how does we think Moses responds? This is what he says. It's verses 11 and 12. But Moses, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God. He said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and the mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it's with an evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. So this response from Moses is amazing. In God offering to wipe out the Israelites to essentially make a real great nation from him, God's actually putting their fate in Moses' hands. Remember, just... just Turn your back. Just turn your back. But Moses doesn't want to do that. He gives the people right back to God. He said, these are your people. You brought them out of Egypt. You told me what to do. I just kind of led the way, but you did everything. You did that work. He gives them right back to God. He says, you brought them out of Egypt. If you wipe them out now, the Egyptians are going to see what's happened, happened, and it's going to hurt your name. Your name is not going to be glorified. This is not going to make you look good. He says, turn your anger away. Don't do this to your people. Then Moses, the story continues, Moses reminds God about the promise that he made to Abraham and the descendants. They're going to be as numerous as the sky. And then God relents. So this is a really tense moment. If you're not careful, take time to understand what's going on. It almost seems like, it almost seems like Moses talked God out of doing something. But in reality, that's not exactly what happened. What God was doing was actually a lot like what he did with Abraham and his son Isaac. Remember, he took him to the, told him to go to the mountain, 
and sacrifice your son to me. What he was doing was testing him. Are you going to hold back? Are you willing to give me everything? God was never going to let Abraham do that. What did he do with Moses? I'm going to wipe these people out. All you need to do, just walk away. You have everything to gain from this. You're going to be awesome. People are going to know. Moses said, no, 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 no. So your people, I want none of that. So he was testing him to see if he was truly their leader, if he was really in this for himself or if he was in this for God. In this case, Moses passes the test. He un- Moses understands the reality that these people are God's people. God has a, a higher purpose in mind. And Moses believes they can be, over time, corrected. So now the text tells us that Moses, Moses begins to, he hasn't, remember, he doesn't know what's going on. So he now he starts to go down the mountain, and he gets further down there, and he meets up with Joshua. And the, as they get closer, this is Lynn walking down, right? It's pretty accurate. They get farther and farther down, they hear noises. And Joshua actually says, it sounds like war. And he can hear people yelling. He's probably hearing stuff banging, and people actually probably ringing bells and doing all kinds of stuff. Moses listens. He says, no, it's not the sound of war. It sounds like singing. It sounds like a celebration. And when Moses gets down to the camp, this is what happens. It's verses 19 and 20. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and he saw the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into the pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made. He burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. So he's obviously very, very angry. He just defended the people to God. He just turned out, let's be honest, a really, really sweet deal. Everything he turned, he said, no, these are your people. He believed that people were salvageable. And then he goes down and he sees what the people are doing with that golden calf. And he takes the Ten Commandments that he has and he just throws them to the ground. They shatter into pieces. Now, believe it or not, this wasn't something that was just done in anger. He was angry, let's be honest. But what Moses was actually doing was physically, physically and outwardly showing the Israelites had broken their, their covenant with God. The covenant was a promise that they made where they're bound to God by the law that they were his people. Part of them being his chosen people meant they followed him. He was their God. And this law is what brought them together. The law that he holds in his hands now. So when they built this golden calf and they sacrificed to it and they danced and did all this kind of revelry, what did they do? They turned their back on God. The law was worthless. They were just paperweights. That's why he throws them down, to physically show what's it good for. It's nothing. It's worthless. The Israelites no longer wanted God. So he was showing the Israelites their contempt for the law. They were done. They broke the covenant. He then takes the calf, burns it, grounds it to the dust, to dusk, mixes it with water, and he makes them all drink it. This is not an infraction that they can go, whoops, went a little too far with that one. He's not going to let them say, well, we'll do better next time. He makes them ingest it, internalize it. They own every ounce of this, body and soul. 
Now, the other reason, this is cool, I think. The other reason Moses took this golden calf and he burns it and grounds it to dusk is to show that it's a man-made idol. There was no God behind it. There was no power to stop him, a man, from smashing this thing. There was no God behind it with the power to stop him from grounding it and grinding it into dust. And there was no God to stop him from behind it to prevent him from making the people drink it. Then he turns to his brother, Aaron. He lets him have it. He says, Aaron, how did this happen? Why did you let this happen? How could this happen? And he was right to ask that Aaron was the high priest. He was supposed to lead the people. That's kind of in the title, right? Job description. He wasn't supposed to be led by them. This was not a democracy. His role was to teach the people, to show them God's ways, his teachings. And he failed miserably. And even in this moment, when Aaron is caught red-handed, he displays even more weakness. Moses asks him, what do you have to say to defend yourself? And this is what Aaron says, it's verse 24. So Aaron says, so listen, I told them, whoever has any gold, any jewelry, take it off. Then they gave it to me. I took the gold, I threw it in the fire, and this calf came out. I'm not making this up. That's been in the Bible for thousands of years. Now look closely at the description of what just happened. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize that's a bunch of baloney, right? That is not true. He's saying he just put the gold in there and out came this calf. Like, what? What we're seeing here is a guilty man trying desperately to get out of the spotlight. And in doing so, he's willing to say things that make absolutely no sense. His excuse reminds me of the story uh, my mom has told us about her days when she was an elementary school teacher. Uh, I think it was when she was teaching first grade and there were some kids playing and one kid bit the other kid. And she's going to laugh in a second because she knows what I'm going to say. And she pulled the kid aside. She says, why did you do that? He said, my teeth slipped. <laughs> right? This is Aaron, the grown man, saying, my teeth slipped. That's actually what happened. So Moses, he turns to the people, and he's looking at them now, right? And I want you to picture this in your mind. This is just what happened. It says, he saw them running wild, out of control, and they were a laughing stock to their enemies. So this is really sad, really emotional for him, because they went from slaves in Egypt, and they were freed, freed by God. All these miracles God did for them. They became God's chosen people. He gave them manna and doves. And now they wasted all that only, be, only to become wild, out-of-control, self-absorbed, godless people in the desert. And this just breaks his heart, right? For everything they've taken for granted. So then Moses, he stands at the entrance to the camp. And he makes this loud statement for everybody to hear. And he says, whoever, whoever is for the Lord, I want you to come to me. And what he's really asking is, who is willing to stand up for the Lord? Come towards me. Whoever sees all this that's going on is going to stand up against it. Remember, him saying this and whoever responds is not going to make them popular with the rest of the group, is it? It's not going to make their lives easier. 
This is a question that we're going to see is going to separate family members, neighbors, friends. So when Moses asked this question, this makes this calling out loud, it says the Levites rallied to him. They rallied to him. Now the Levites were descended from Levi, one of the sons of Jacob. They were a tribe of Israel, but unlike the other tribes, when they went into the promised land, the Levites did not get a share of the land. They didn't get land at all. Their portion was the Lord. They were to serve God in and around the temple. That was their job. And so this is the group that answers Moses' call. And this is what Moses tells them to do. Let's read this carefully. Verses 27 and 28, 20, I'm sorry, 27 to 29. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then the Lord, I'm sorry, then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord this day, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So this is a really, really tough verse to read. 3,000 people died that day, and the Levites were the ones who did it. Now, it's likely the 3,000 people that died were the worst offenders. They're the ones that probably instigated it, started it, did the most egregious stuff of idolatry and morality, the worst of the worst. And now that that event is done, Moses, he stands before the remaining people, the ones that are still alive, and he says, you, you have created, you have done, excuse me, committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make an atonement for your sins. Perhaps. He, he doesn't know if God's going to forgive them. He doesn't know what God's going to do. Their sin is huge. The people had wasted no time turning their backs on God. They created their own God. And then they did awful, immoral acts. So now, the, story, the, the text tells us Moses goes before God and he pleads. He pleads for the people. And let's read what he says. And look closely at the words he uses because they show responsibility. He's not like, listen, I barely know these people. You know, don't hardly know them, right? He does the exact opposite of what Aaron does. It's verses 31 and 32. So Moses went back to the Lord. And he said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me, me out of the book you've written. First off, he admits openly, without a hint of minimizing what they did. They totally turned their backs on you, God. They totally made gods out of gold. Everything they did was wrong. But please, please forgive them. And this is, this is part that's crazy. This is, this is what shows incredible leadership. If you will not forgive them, then what? Blot me out of the book. He's talking about the book of life. He, he, he could have had an entire great nation out of just him. I mean, let's talk, and that would be awesome, right? Now he's saying, I didn't even do this. I'm totally innocent. But if you're not going to forgive them, give me the same fate. See, that is enormous. 
He's saying they're my people too. I take responsibility for them. I am one of them. What you do to them, do to me. Moses knows what the punishment is. He knows God can be incredibly forgiving. He also knows God can be vengeful, capable of bringing plagues. And he's got that angel of death he can call on, right? Remember that? He also knows they committed a sin that cannot be atoned for by the blood of animals. They got tons of animals. They could have easily said, hey, let's start bringing like 20 bulls, 100, whatever. Let's start doing it. We're going to get through this. That's not even possible. It's not even suggested. It's not enough. Their sin was too great. There is no sacrifice they can offer that's going to atone for this. And here's this little piece right here. This little exchange between Moses and God points forward, begins to point forward to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't presume to suggest that Moses, in his mind, was specifically thinking of Jesus, but he definitely knows, and you can tell from this, there is nothing they can do to make up for this. Because they had already been doing sacrifices, right? It tells us. They knew about that. They were doing it. Nothing. Nothing is going to work. He understands something way bigger is needed to redeem mankind. And at the same time, considering all that, Moses puts himself on the line alongside his people, risking getting blotted out from the book of life. Moses sees the bigger picture. He knows God chose these people for a reason, a bigger reason, something that's going to affect the entire world. So Moses is in this for the long haul, for better or for worse. He's a true leader. He's not in it for himself. His only goal is God's goal, even if it costs him. That's the type of leader God seeks. Those are the kind of followers that God wants. People who are not in it for personal gain, but people who follow God, even if it goes against the grain of society. You know, in society, a lot of times they say there's no sin, right? It's taboo to talk about sin. I mean, I know people, when, I, when people find out a pastor, we talk about stuff. And the one thing that this, this nowadays people love to talk about is um, the woman who was about to get stoned to death for adultery, right? Everyone remembers the part. Jesus says, whoever is without, this first, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone, right? Everybody knows that. Yeah, woo, that's the Jesus I love. What part do they forget? Well, he tells the woman, go and sin no more. It was still a sin. He told her to leave her life of sin. That's what this is about. Going against the grain of science and saying, hey, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. What God wants is people to stand in the gap before him. And that's what Moses is doing. So now after Moses stands firm, he says, forgive them, forgive them or blot my name out from the book. This is how God responds. Verses 33 to 35. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I've spoken of, and my, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. So this is serious stuff. God says, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out. So what this means is God, God is willing to save the Israelite nation as a whole, but he's still going to exact punishment. There's still retribution for what they did. He still has a purpose for these people. He's still going to accomplish that purpose in spite of what they've done. 
I want to pause for a moment and regroup because we've covered a lot of information. And I want to focus on what the central message of this teaching is. The central message of this chapter I mean, is about standing for God. I mean, sometimes we also stand against this world. And what happened with Aaron, it's the perfect example of this. When the people got tired of waiting for Moses, what did they do? They just went and did whatever they wanted, and Aaron went right along with it. What Aaron should have done is remind the people of their relationship with God. There was only one true God, and they needed to wait on his timing. But what did he do? He totally caved. He caved. He didn't stand in the gap. He didn't even try. So Aaron was guilty of laziness, not taking a stand for God. And there's three important things we need to know to be effective disciples for Jesus. I'm going to list those now. Number one, being on the side of God requires a decision. A decision. Number two, being on God's side requires action. Number three, being on God's side requires separation. So number one, first, we have to make a decision. We need to see, we need to look at the world around us. We need to make a decision. Where do we stand? With humanity, with society, or do we stand with God? And then we make that decision, it stands. We don't go back and forth. We don't make a decision in private and then do something different in public. So the next thing, on being on God's side, it requires an action. Once we make that decision, we need to change the direction of our lives. We need to be different. We need to look different. Our priorities, the way we spend our time, what we do with the gifts God has given us, they need to reflect that decision. Now the last thing we need to do to be an effective disciple is know that that decision is going, that action is also going to require separation. And let's be honest, this is actually one of the most difficult things because this can separate us out from friends and family. When we make that decision for God, we begin to take those steps. We have to dissociate from people if they're leading us astray. If we are family or friends going one way and it's not the right way, it's not a godly way, we need to separate. We can still be family and friends, but we need to stand apart and hopefully lead them back. We want to draw them to God. That's the ultimate purpose. Think back to the golden calf incident. What if Aaron had just gave a hard no? What would it have looked like? He would not have been very popular, right? Probably made a few people angry. But what if he would have, what if half, like this is, what if half would have avoided the calf? That's half the people. Only half the people would have gone astray. But it would have saved lives. Would that not have been worth it? You see, that's the point. That's why God's doing all this. That's why this events, all this, this stories relate to us today and even what's happening today. The world is not interested in putting God's, God first. The world does whatever feels good, whatever they want right now, whatever, and that's what's okay. But following Jesus, truly following Jesus, means we have to stand out from the world. We don't do that from a place where we condemn the world. We're no better. But we do stand out knowing that we are sinners who can be saved by Jesus Christ, and we can lead a better life. This is why these events are in the Bible. That's why the Bible points forward, always points to the fact that we are sinners, all of us, 
but can be saved through Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs to know. So as you go about your day, your month, your week, you're going to encounter stuff. You're going to encounter decisions you're going to have to make where you stand apart. But know that doing that is how we save lives. It's how we draw people to God. And that's what Moses was doing. That's what he was for. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, tonight we learned about the golden calf and how the Israelites turned their back on you. But more than that, we learned how important it is to stay on the path that you laid out for us. We learned how standing for you may lead us to stand out from the rest of the world. But we've also learned that is the only way. We've learned that you've provided all we need through Jesus Christ. He lays out our path for us. He forgives us. He guides us. Father, we thank you for his gift. We thank you for his work on the cross. We thank you for everything you've done for us. For without you and your son, we would have no hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.